So we want to look, and we're continuing to look through 1 Corinthians at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, as we've been talking about it, we, we kind of, I don't want to say stopped or, 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 took, or took an offshoot, but we, we've been trying to focus on what was the point of what Paul was getting at. In fact, let me ask, as, as you think about 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, what is it that Paul has been emphasizing? As he's been talking about the Holy Spirit working through the church and, and giving spiritual gifts, what, what kinds of things have been popping up to you in terms of what Paul has been saying about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts are uh, learned, um, really controlled by us, and mm-hmm. given to us. Okay. So, and they're not necessarily ours forever. Right. Time and, and situationally, they're accomplishing something specific. And we don't all have the same gifts. Right. Different people have different gifts. Different people have different gifts different times. In fact, that's, that was kind of a main point near the end of chapter 12, wasn't it? He's like, well, does, does everybody have the same gift? Well, of course not. Why might you? Why would anybody... I mean, this is supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit. Why would you ever look down on on, on what you've been given? Or on somebody else's? Some are more showy. They, they're very perceivable. But if your spiritual gift is servanthood, or something like that, you're not going to be in the forefront. So. But then that suggests something. It, I would okay. say you're looking at the gifts the wrong way. How so? Um, because uh, the, the view of the gift then comes from our own selfish perspective and not how God is intending to use the gifts. The gifts are to bring glory to Him and to build up uh, the body the way He's called us to build each other up. It isn't about um, who has, who has it, who has what they want, who has what they don't want. That's perceiving being that thing. It's not about those things. It's about praying glory to God and using the way that Very good. I mean, I, I, if we were even talking about the natural gifting, somebody has beautiful, swarthy hair, um, and somebody else has is, is a, is a even much more attractive bald head, right? Um, these are things that you could theoretically think, I'm better than you or whatever. Or somebody's really, really good at basketball, and another guy is really, really horrible at basketball. And you might say, ah, you know, I, I'm better than you. If we would agree, we probably shouldn't pick on one another about that sort of thing. How much more something where this didn't even remotely come from you? It didn't start with you. It didn't. It's not something that you learned how to do well necessarily. And the whole point of it is to honor God. And everything that any time that we get uh, a gift of the Holy Spirit is to honor God, is to build up the rest of the body. Why would should this ever? be something that somebody could hold over somebody else or judge somebody else and say, I, I'm better than you in this. It's like, it had nothing to do with you. It didn't start with you. It has nothing to do with your abilities in any of this stuff. Well, let's ask it this way. If chapter 13, as we've been talking about, if it wasn't a tangent, if chapter 13 was the heart of what he's been talking about the entire time, 
why is he even bringing this subject up? People talk about chapter 13 being a tangent in the middle of 12 and 14. Because 12 and 14 are talking about how you should look at the Holy Spirit and how you should act it out. If chapter 13 wasn't a tangent away from that, what, what was it? And, and, and why is Paul even bringing up any of this? Well, because chapter 13 is the why behind the plot. It's the motivating the background chapter. The reason that the other things are being done. Bringing it up because it's a problem. Yeah. Which is interesting because how does putting that study, putting the Holy Spirit's giftings into the context of saying the only reason Paul is even talking about this is because they're doing it to get Holy Spirit gifts, so that they can say, I've got this, you don't have this, i got this, this is really cool, you only have that, I've got this, look at my gifting and how I can do this. If the whole, only reason Paul is even bringing this up, or at least the, 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 the core, primary reason Paul is even bringing this up, is to say, you guys are forgetting that the whole point of this is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he chooses, to whom he chooses, to accomplish a specific situation and a specific purpose so that you build up everybody else. How does that put... How do people normally start looking at 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 14? Why do we, why do we normally want to study spiritual gifts? How we can either get them or have them to since you think this is important, let me try out my Bible study about why you're wrong. From either side of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It goes a little bit against it. Well, think about it. Yeah, most, again, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's, it's inherently wrong to take a chunk out of Scripture and say, well, this talks about this at length. Let's, let's discuss it. That's fine. But the attitude with which we sometimes approach this is this feeling of, how do I prove the other side wrong, whatever the other side is? Or how do I figure out what gift I get to have? Or how do I figure out how, all the stuff that you go, well, isn't that exactly the sort of wrong mindsets that made Paul talk about this in the first place? So why is that? Why is it that if Paul is pretty clear that the reason I'm bringing this up is koinonia, fellowship. I'm bringing this up because of how you guys are doing this wrong within community. Most of 1 Corinthians is about, all right, I'm going to talk about how to do communion. The reason I'm talking about how to do communion is because you're doing it so badly. You know, or I'm going to talk about how to do grace, because you guys seem to think embracing people's sin is showing grace. So you're doing it wrong. Let me talk about how to do this right. Yeah, there's a number of things going on here that he's talking about because they're they're breaking it. Why is it that if he's pretty clear that the reason I'm bringing this up is because you guys are overly focused on getting gifts that you like, and overly focused on stepping on other people. Why is it that for centuries we go, I'm so glad he's written these sections in 1 Corinthians. Because I want to step on other people, and I want to show how I get the gifts that I like. Why, if he's pretty clear about that, why do we get that wrong? Well, it's 
specific to this that we can pull stuff out to make our own method that. It just happens to be a really blatant example of it. It's crazy blatant. Okay. 
Oh, that's a good point. So correct, correct with with T. Well, and and, and from what uh, Michael was just saying about priests, we're not even necessarily talking about priests that are parallels to to pastors like me. We're talking about priests whose main job they may or may not give some sort of homily. Their main job is taking stuff from the people and handing it to God. Let me be let me be your liaison toward God. You toward God. And the prophet goes, right, and I'll be your liaison from God toward you. And we go, I want more priests, fewer prophets. Why might that be? In fact, the church it begins ultimately to develop this idea of, I don't even want to approach God. Priest, would you please pray for me? Priest, would you please talk to God about? Even within Christianity, saying, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I, but I want to do God's stuff. Could you do my God stuff for me? I will pay you money to do my God stuff for me. And prophets, we want nothing to do with you people. This isn't a new thing. I mean, but again, it's like Old when, Testament stuff. Yeah. When they went up, when when Moses went up the, the mountain top, oh. you know, the original invite was for the people to come near, and they were all scared to death. Well, maybe rightly so, but they had the invite, but then they didn't. Yeah. There's whole sections where they specifically say, okay, that's a great plan. Let me just do one tweak. You go do all that. Yeah. Because anybody in the presence of God dies. So Moses, why don't you go into the presence of God? There's actually that line of argument! And it's, like, it's amazing to me. But yes, this is nothing new. Why? I mean, I'm saying it in jokey ways. Articulate it in your own words. Why? Why is that? Okay, what about God's holiness? The intimacy of God's holiness. You have to allow yourself to be opened up to his inspection and you have to be able to be close to him. And um, Michael and Nancy are both intimating. On a healthy level, the idea of going, you know, I maybe shouldn't properly approach the holy mountain of God right now because I'm all messed up. You know, Okay, but if that's the case, that should, biblically, draw you to saying, I should probably de-mess a little bit, right? Because God is saying, come come to me. And we go, uh, maybe, let me work on some stuff. You know? but, but then Christ is even like, no, you can't work on stuff enough to get to the Holy Mountain. Let me work on your stuff for you. But then come, come to the Holy Mountain. And we go, thank you, thank you for doing all that. And now come to the whole mountain. Well, <laughs> I have a basketball game. You know, but it's, but it's, it's that vulnerability, that intimacy that is really, really scary, right? That, that sense of going, not just I've done something religious toward God, but the God goes, come, be with me, or here, let me speak to your heart context, what's going on in your life. How should you live with your family members or the people next door? How should you act? Or even, most pointedly, let me correct the boneheaded crud that you're doing right now. And we go, I really would rather not do that. Which is why I would much rather call my doctor and say, I have sniffles, can I please have an antibiotic? Then go to my doctor and have him say, you could lose a little weight too. You know, I would much rather just tell you stuff 
get what I want out of the environment, and then go. I have no desire to get your expertise speaking to my live context. Thank you very much. Anyway. So is he saying that this is the one that we should therefore be striving to have? Why or why not? Prophecy is the greater gift. <laughs> so this is the one that you should you should strive to have. Yes? No? I think it depends on the context of the uh, seeking after love first and the, the, if that's seeking God and his ways before he was. It actually doesn't say to pursue the prophecy. It says to pursue love and desire the prophecy. But that, if you desire prophecy, then you want to pursue doing prophecy, don't you? Okay, explain to me. How do you pursue getting the gift of prophecy? It's a gift. It's given to you. It isn't one that you can take. But you should strive toward prophecy. Maybe start prophesying, and eventually God will give you prophetic utterances. Yes? <laughs> Maybe say yabba dabba do backwards, and then eventually you'll drift into tongues. Maybe, uh, I, seriously, what, how do you strive for the gift of prophecy? Okay, what, what spiritual gifts should you strive for? Which ones should you aim for? Should you try to get? Help me out here, and I'm not just going to pick on Mark because he was good enough to answer my question. Why is it though that we then tend to take these verses as if we're like, yes, that's the one that you should actually be aiming for? Really? Is that what he's saying? You know, if you're going to want a gift, want the better ones. Oh, so that's the one I should be trying to get. <coughs> I didn't say that even remotely. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. So why do we go? Yeah, so that's the one I should be trying to get. me that I'm not supposed to be wanting for me, and I'm wanting to get something that it's I actually can't physically make myself get. Well, he'd already given the, the body analogy, and, you know, if everyone was a nose, mm -hmm. there was a sense of hearing me, and if everyone was a mouth prophesying, then where would everything else be? You know, or acts of service, or whatever else there is, you know, it, uh, you're, if everyone's striving after this one thing, then we're going to be out of balance and not doing all the things you Especially since it would again be about what you're wanting, and it would be striving after something that striving doesn't attain. So, I mean, every part of that is looking at that, at the very least, backwards, and yet it is the way we naturally think. If this is a good thing, well, then that's the thing I should want to try to get. How do I get myself there? Well, and it seems like the Corinthians were desiring tongues instead. Oh, let's get into that. Can I ask a question for you? No. Okay, yes. What? Okay, I am well aware that study notes are not part of the inspired word of God, but can I just ask you to comment on what this says for this part? Okay, well. Thank you. The important gift of that is that of prophecy. 
The New Testament prophet was not merely a preacher, but an inspired preacher through whom, until the New Testament is written, the revelation suited to the dispensation was given. Um, so are they... <laughs> Gee, what theological background is that one coming from? Well, I don't particularly like studying Bibles all the time. But, um, well, yeah, they also talk about how tongues are going to cease here in a second and should never be used again in this study note. <sighs> I get where it's coming from with what they're saying during this time you don't have the Bible um, yet. I think he's kind of a signal. He, she, he probably is. They. It's probably a they. Probably a he. Um, well, I mean, there's something to be said for the, the uh, that, that, yes, you're getting inspiration, you're getting people speaking from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because they didn't have a the Bible, except that they did have a the Bible. It just was the unfortunately only three quarters of the Bible that you know, not not the real Bible, the New Testament. So I mean, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of inspired Word of God that people are building things on. And if you want to argue, sure, there's an inspired Word of God, but we should also be receiving you know living Word from God through His prophets. Then that. Technically, argue against the study notes argument that once we get the actual Bible, we no longer need prophets. I'm like, well, you already have three quarters of the actual Bible by this time, and you still get apparently need prophets. The point is that I would say, yeah, I think we, I think one of the things that we're we're told in Scripture, and we're told by Paul, who's arguing, arguably an inspired preacher writing the letter we're talking about. We're told in Paul that Paul affirmed. People who would be second-guessing everything that the apostles are saying against Scripture. Figure out what is the inspired, absolute, everybody agrees this is the inspired Word of God. Anybody that comes in and goes, I'm speaking from God, <laughs> make sure that everything they're saying follows with what you already know is coming from God. So, I mean, I, yes. I mean, I agree with some of the points they're making, but not necessarily the, the conclusion they're getting to. Can I ask a, yeah. a couple things that you said in there? Absolutely. You said, uh, like, prophecy is the most important gift. The greatest gift. The greatest gift. Is that? Well, I mean, what does he say there in verse 1? He said, for the, uh, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. In a few verses, he's actually going to talk about that being a greater gift than tongues. So why might he be implying that it is a greater gift. Now, why were you asking that, though? Because I, well, I think it's a... Because well, we said the greatest gift. The greatest gift is different than a greater gift than time. Fair enough. That's good. And, and I mean, if you really want to get down to it, we talked last week, I mean, we could say the greatest gift of love is love, but then they weren't, he wasn't putting love, faith, hope in the category of spiritual gifts as much as he was products. Right. Greatest right. gift, you, would, you could argue... Christ did for us on the, on the, on the cross. As, but when he's talking about the the kind of gifts that these guys are looking for, maybe the, the list of gifts that right. he gives elsewhere here, I think that's what about. then why might he be saying, why might he even be developing some sort of hierarchy where he's like, there's tongues and there's prophecy. I think prophecy is greater than tongues. Why might he be saying something like that? Well, so where, where are you, I want you to, to follow well, through. I, I'm just thinking in terms about you, um, if we think about the the uh, gifts, and if we're not desire uh, those, we can easily fall in, into a trap of saying, uh, you know, that, I mean, I want this one instead of that one. 
Okay, I want you. That's what I was hoping you're going for. I want you to hold on to that because we're. He's gonna. He's gonna pound on hierarchies okay. even more so in a little bit. At the same in the same basic chunk of the same letter where he's like, stop playing like some gifts are more important than others. Yeah. You've got eyes and you got toenails. Stop pretending that eyes are more important than toenails. By the way, this is more important than that. And I'm more important than any of you. Why might he do that? So hopefully we'll get there, because I want you to hold on to that, because he seems to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. And I want to know why. So, somebody read me First uh, Corinthians 14, 2 through 4. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with, with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Oh, sorry, one more. He who speaks in tongue um, edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So what's the distinction, or what are the distinctions being made between tongues and prophecy being made here? Tongues edify yourself, prophecy edifies the church. So why might that be something that he says, this is more important than that? So in verse 1 he says, okay, walking through koinonia, here's how we do the spiritual gifts. In verses 2 through 4 he's like, by the way, this gift is, 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 is something that's better for the church and more important than the other gift because of koinonia issues, right? Keeps pounding on, on this. Any other distinctions being made? Uh, tongues were also to God, right? Right. And there's prophecy. I mean, it's kind of what Eric said. There's prophecies for the church to, to others. That's a good point. What's the implicit, implicit distinction being made here between the tongues spoken audibly only to God and the tongues being spoken in, like, Acts 2, 4 through 8? What was going on in Acts 2, 4 through 8? Do you remember? <clears throat> Like super translate that was Pentecost, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And like super translator more, where one person was speaking in tongues and everybody understood it in their own language. Or various people were speaking in tongues and everybody was hearing their own languages. So how do you want to see that as as Moses speaking in seventy languages, or seventy different people talking seventy different languages, seventy people listening going, Oh, I heard Slovakian over there. Um so what is Slovakian. So, um, so what What's the implicit distinction? By the way, Charismatics Pentecostals pound this distinction pretty hard. But what is the distinction being made here between what Paul at least appears to be talking about here and alluded to in, in uh, chapter 13 versus what was going on clearly in chapter 2 of Acts? Well, for one, if you're in a church context, then there's a good chance that those people who understand other languages aren't there. Right. You're all together. Now, I do know of instances where people have used this gift and there was some visitor or something from another country or whatever and they didn't hear it and it was real. But that's usually not the case. Right. Acts chapter 2, by definition, was outreach, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that was, it's like, it's for people to sit there and go, um, huh, let me walk into that room and find out what's going on here. And there were tongues of fire on top of their head. Well, there's that too. It's like, it was an overflowing of Remember what Paul talks about in chapter 13? If I speak in the tongues of men or or angels. And so there's a lot of movement within charismatic Pentecostal movement of saying that not all tongue speaking is necessarily speaking human languages. That it's 
plumbing the deep depths of the soul with a language that only God understands, and so you're speaking of that. Okay. I mean, this is something that only God is understanding. Nobody in the in, in the room is understanding. Or maybe you're maybe you are speaking Slovakian. But Paul's point is you're doing it in a room where nobody else speaks Slovakian. Um, however you want to see that, whether it's a a non-human language, or whether you want to see it as, well, it's not a language anybody else in the room is going to understand. Um, so how does that make... Why, why would God ever give somebody the gift of a supernatural translation that nobody else in the room is going to necessarily understand? Why might that, why might that ever be the case? Would, would he ever do that? See, this is a series, by the way, that makes every cessationist listen growl at me because I keep saying no, and, and an, an amazing number of Pentecostals and Charismatics growl at me because they're like, wait, are you just dissing talk? So, yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't gotten into it yet in the chapter, but it talks about interpretation. Sure. And if there's a supernatural gift of interpretation, then that tongue, though not understood readily by those present, can be understood through the interpreter. Okay. So that, that maybe leads to this question. As we go through this, I want you to think about this. Keep this, this question in the back of your mind. What is Paul's perspective on this, speaking of the tongues of angels thing, or of at least nobody in the room? Speaking in a tongue that nobody else is going to understand. What is his take on this? Is he saying that he's recommending it? Yes. I wish all of you would go speak in tongues like this. Back of your head. Not front of mouth. Back of head. Is he recommending it? I wish all of you would speak in tongues. Is he recommending it so that someone else interprets that message? Is he value neutral about it? He's like, I'm not recommending it one way or another. I'm just saying, if you're going to do it, here's, here's how you do it. Is he saying, no, I don't think this is a good idea, but I'm bringing this up because it's an example of how you guys are doing this inappropriately. Or is he saying, absolutely not, I'm bringing this up as a practice to be avoided. The practice itself is a bad thing. As we're going through, I want you to think about that. I don't want you to assume it, I want you to keep asking it. Where along this spectrum is Paul in talking about the idea of, I had something that burbled out of my mouth that I didn't understand and nobody else in the room understands. Okay. Given the distinction being made between tongues and prophecy, why does he encourage prophecy as, as a greater gift? At the end of chapter 12, he talked about the yearly desire the greater gifts. Beginning of chapter 14, he said, the, uh, prophecy more than tongues. Why is Paul encouraging prophecy as the greater gift? To be appreciated. Because it's all about that, right? What does that suggest about what he sees going wrong in Corinth? I'm asking it as a gut question. So, so as far as it goes, they're abusing tongues, um, and he's trying to address that. Okay. How did they treat, what was the problem with communion? Why do we have a wonderful section on how to do a communion service in First Corinthians? Because they were botching it. What were they doing wrong? Yes. Yeah. 
rich people get the good seats, poor people get the bad seats, whoever gets going first gets the food and everybody else has to go home hungry. Ironically, that means rich people get more food and poor people go home hungry. Think about that for a second. How smart is that? Is that really what we were wanting to do? Isn't that the absolute opposite of the way economically it should be? And isn't that absolutely the opposite of the way um, ecclesiastically that it should be? Isn't this a wrong heart that we have? In general, aren't you guys picking and choosing who you like and who you don't like? We follow Apollos, well, we follow Paul, well, we're better than you. It's all about Starbellic Sneetches in Corinth, right? That's why, why my group is better than your group. In what? Pick something. We're the tall people. Tall people are better than short people. Really? You guys keep hitting your heads. We're better than you guys. Yeah? Well, that's because you guys are bald. Oh, yeah. Well, bald people are better than you because we have beautiful, smooth heads and God likes to look at them. Well, that's what we got. Beautiful, beautiful hair. Pick something, and there appears to be people in Corinth that say, yes, that's why I'm judging my demographic to be better than your demographic. And more important, do you see how this is all consistently best understood in its context of koinonia? of fellowship, going, wait, everything he's bringing up is, are you even thinking about the body? Oh, wait, let me give an extended ex example about how we're part of a body. And you go, oh, I love that analogy. Go, right, give it to Corinth. Why? Because they weren't thinking about it like that. So again, why do we rarely study the gifting of the Holy Spirit in its overall context of fellowship? Why do we still, if that's repeatedly the context that he's given in 1 Corinthians, why do we still go, well, what are my gifts? I like this guy. I'm very proud of my gifts. I'm a prophet. Why do we still do that? Why? But that's, yeah, that's humanity. But I mean, we don't learn, but what? I mean, we're drawn to the things that make us prop us up. There's a reason why, there's a reason why so much of comedy is that person looks stupid. I like comedy movies where I look at somebody else and laugh at them. There's a reason why racism works. There's a reason why uh, body shaming works. There's a reason why anytime that we shove somebody else in the dirt and we say, look, I'm taller and cleaner than you, but with you laying in the ground in the dirt. That works. It worked 10,000 years ago. It works 2,000 years ago. It works now. You go, yeah, but we have truth now. So do they. In some ways, we have more. I mean... Study notes. We have more. This is great. We got we got study notes. We've got the whole New Testament sitting around us. All they had was Paul. You know, oh wait, somehow they have more. No, oh, wait, we have more. Well, this <coughs> you can have Paul sitting in front of you, or divinely inspired study notes sitting in front of you, or a whole Bible sitting in front of you, and still make some of the same decisions that don't honor any of those things. Because we will do that. Again, how might people think if they go, I am a prophet, or I can speak in tongues? How would the most excellent way of genuine love in chapter 13 that he articulates, and the description of the verses, uh, of, the, of, the, of the gifts that he gives here in verses 3 and 4, how might that start to keep us from making some of these mistakes? If we actually start thinking about it as, ah, follow the way of love as you're stepping out in these gifts. How might that actually change how the Corinthians or we would do spiritual games. They wouldn't be shoving somebody else down. Okay, so what would we do with it? I have a gift of prophecy. 
I like it because I like to tell Sarah all the stuff she's doing stupid. In Jesus' name. <laughs> and I might even have the gift of prophecy. And I might even be right. Can I can I still technically potentially abuse it? enjoy it more. If instead of saying, here's God's truth, it's, here's God's truth from me to you. Um, I might enjoy that a great deal, right? I might even exercise it more because I enjoy it. I might go around and tell Caleb the stuff he's doing wrong. And maybe that actually even came from God. So I tell Lucy stuff she's, you know, that actually didn't come from God. I know, but it was a really, it was, I was on a roll. Okay, how might I do prophecy differently if I'm doing it following the way of love? Even the same people. How so? How can I say even the same thing? I can I can share the same truth to Sarah and Kelvin and not Lucy, because God did have stuff He wanted me to tell Sarah and Kelvin. How can I do that differently as an act of service to them? Well, it'll happen differently if you're doing it sure that everything you're doing you do with such a good heart that anybody that, that speaks against you is is they're morally culpable for their slander. I mean you could do your stuff and be a twerp and so they're reacting against your twerpness. But if you're doing your stuff to honor God and doing it lovingly, if they're reacting against you, they're reacting against God, not against you. They're morally culpable for that. Be the person that you're supposed to be here. Um I've used this analogy before about surgeons, but I mean, it's like, am I a surgeon because I, I, I love you and I want to remove that cyst from you, and that's why I'm coming at you with a knife? Or am I a surgeon because it's the only job where I get to slice people like I like to, and they pay me to do it instead of sending me to prison like they used to? In states I don't go to anymore. <laughs> you know? I mean, A, not only is that creepy from my end, even if it never comes to your end, it's still really unhealthy from my end, but B, what might be tempted to go, I don't know, looks like something maybe need to come off in a surgery. You know, there are times where you go, well, now you're going ahead of what you're supposed to be doing because you want to. There's all these things where you go, the why behind it is crucially important to why you're doing this. So if you are actually doing this because you love, then this is a healthy thing. And you do it because you go, you know what, I see unhealth. I, God himself is laying this on my bones that I'm supposed to say this. And I come at this with not a, I stand as your prophet telling you. It's more of a, God laid this on my heart and I need to share this with you. Not because I desperately want to. Jeremiah's like, oh, well, you know, it's like, it's like but I, I have to. Somebody read me verse 5. Now I wish that you 
And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that, so that the church may receive edifying. Um, how does it summarize everything so far? I mean, just your own words. Tongues is good. Prophecy. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. So it's it's can't get through this verse without another point of neon, right? Um, how does this help answer our ongoing question? What's Paul's perspective on tongues? Does he say anything about like, well, I'd like all of you to speak in tongues? Does he say anything like that? He actually says, I want all of you to speak in tongues, right? So he's against tongues. He's for tongues. But only if it's interpreted, correct? Is that what he says here in the verse? No. He says that interpretation is very, at least on par with prophecy. Okay. That's how that scripture says it. I think it's interpreted. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily say, <clears throat> I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but only if somebody edifies it by, by interpreting it. He says, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather... Yeah. Why would Paul want everybody to speak in tongues? Why? It edifies, it edifies the individual, but they're talking with God. And everyone should be talking about Cool. Anything else? Absolutely. Anything else? I don't necessarily have a the answer that I'm looking for. Just, any other reason why Paul would want everybody to speak in tongues? There's no bad spiritual good. For all we know, Paul might say, I wish all of you could, you know, heal people. You know, I, he, he's not saying that. I don't want to read that into it. But it no, that's great. Let's go with Wendy's original thought that maybe the people in Corinth are like, Tongues! It's all about tongues! So instead of him going, Tongues, that's the one I want everybody to have, he might go, Oh, don't get me wrong. I'd love it if you spoke in tongues. That's, tongues is not the issue here. Right? There's no <clears throat> bad spiritual gift. So why does he phrase it this strange way? This goes back to what Calvin and I were chatting about a second ago. Not just that the gift of prophecy is greater, but the one who steps out in the gift of prophecy is greater. That's a strange way of saying it. And then he doesn't just say, hey, because prophecy is a greater gift. He's like, the person who steps out in the gift of prophecy is greater than the person who steps out in the gift of tongues. And yes, that's what it's saying in the Greek. So the person is a better person. By the way, don't agree with me. So the person's a better person. And what is he saying? The person is greater. Does that mean better? Not the gift is greater, but he doesn't say the gift. He says the person is. Okay. It is. But why does that make the person greater? again, it's not necessarily, remember, we've talked about this a couple of times, it's not necessarily the person using the gift. It's the gift using the person, right? That makes, that makes you greater. You go, better? You can say better. This isn't a, 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 a value judgment. This is more of an impact judgment. 
why would that be relevant to the situation in Corinth? To sit there and go, you know what? If you want to be greater, because isn't that what everybody in Corinth is wanting to get? I want to be better than Floyd over there. I want to be greatest one in the room. You go, if that's what you're wanting, if you're wanting to have the greatest impact, if you're wanting to do this, if you're wanting to do this the most rightly-ish, if everything I'm saying is that the most rightly-ishness of this is to do this in koinonia, to do this in fellowship, to, to help everybody as much as you can, to help as many different people, because the gifts are being given to edify the whole the whole body, the whole church, then if tongues basically just edifies you, and prophecy edifies everybody, if you really want to be the greatest, you'll do prophecy more than tongues. Right? There is a hierarchy here. Why would that be relevant to Corinth? Why would he phrase it this way? That is fraught with peril. But why would he phrase it this way? Meaning where they're at. What they're struggling with. Yeah. It's like, you guys, everybody's like, I want the best. Puff, puff, puff. You go, if you did, isn't this the same basic argument that he had in Philippians where he's like, they're like, you know, being the best Jewish Christian of all times, that's what makes everybody the best Christian. He's like, well, if you're going to do that, I'm the best one of the bunch of you. My family actually spoke Hebrew. Yours? You Greek Jews? Do you even speak Hebrew? I did. I was trained by Gamaliel. Hey, I did this. I spent my whole life being trained as a Pharisee. Really? We're going to play this game? We're going to throw down with resumes at one another? If we're going to do that, I win, right? By the way, I think all that is literally garbage. Remember that argument? Can you hear echoes of that argument here? Oh, if you want the greatest gift, wouldn't, wouldn't this be greater than that? If the whole point of the gifts is to edify as you know different people, Mark speaks in tongues. And by the way, not dissing that. Great. Knock yourself out, Mark. Mark speaks in tongues. Connects with God. They have a wonderful moment. And the rest of you look at Mark having a wonderful moment. And then Nancy says, Man, I know what he meant. God saved all of us this. So all of us have a wonderful moment with God. Which one's the greater thing going on here? Which one of these people had a greater impact on the church family that day? Mark with his spectacular gift. So why do we struggle with that? First off, let me do it this way. Why do we struggle today with Paul's structure here? That he clearly preaches against hierarchy sometimes, and then clearly preaches hierarchies sometimes. Like within five verses of each other. Why is this still a struggle if we go, well, it's very clear what he's trying to do. Why do we still tr stumble over that? Still, we heard what we wanted to hear when our brains were perfect and we were standing in Eden able to eat everything except for one tree. And Satan comes along and goes, uh, well, it's not really the way to look at that, is it? You know, you know he's right. We hear what we want to hear in Eden. Has that changed at all since then? And we still think in hierarchies, don't we? Which, of course, is why he's doing it. He's going, no, let me tear down hierarchies. Well, I mean, if you want to use hierarchies, here's one that works against what you're arguing. So, you know, think that through. Frankly, I think we should flatten those hierarchies. Because if we went down, I'm awesome. If we're doing your hierarchy thing, right? Is that what you want to do? Is that the game you want to play? Or we can flatten those. We go, he's so inconsistent. Like, I really don't think he is, actually. I really think he's like, no, no, really, really, it makes sense. It, you can make an argument for hierarchies. 
But even if you did, the most logical argument for hierarchies works against what you guys are doing. What are you I mean, can you go back to even what Jesus said when the disciples were arguing about who is greater? Is, uh, the, well, the greatest among you is the person who serves. Well, exactly. technically, puts the hierarchy on the server, then. It does. But it diminishes the, the height of the person. And, and, and one of the greatest of these guys was a guy named Brother Lawrence. I love Brother Lawrence. Guy, guy rocked. He's a, a monk, and he, he's just like, yep, I want to diminish so that Christ can be more. And that's awesome. And if you read his, his, his writings, I think he had a really good heart about it. An amazing number of people read Brother Lawrence, and they go, right, that's what I want to be, because I want to be the greatest. So I'm like the greatest servant. I'm an amazing, humble servant. Like Brother Lawrence. I'm like Brother Lawrence level servant, man. You're doing the same stupid crud! You're doing the same stupid crud! Brother Lawrence did it because he's like, no, I actually want to take that seriously. I want, I want to be a servant. And I'm going to write how to do that and the joy that I have with doing that. Like, I work in the, in the kitchen because I don't like working in the kitchen. Nobody likes working in the kitchen. So I said, I'll work in the kitchen because I'm like, you know, I want to do it because I'm serving, not because I enjoy it. By the way, I enjoy serving, so I enjoy working in the kitchen, even because I don't enjoy working in the kitchen. People are like, oh, so like I should beat myself with a stick because I don't like it. And that way, I'm showing that I'm doing stuff I don't like. I'm beating myself, and I'm hurting myself, and I'm doing stuff I don't like, and that way makes me amazing. Brother Lawrence is like, how did you hear what I said and not hear what I said? I said, do something you don't necessarily want to do because then you're doing it because you're serving. And you have the right heart. You're saying, oh, so I should consciously do stuff I hate because it hurts me, and that self-flagellation is worship. No! It just becomes another hierarchy bent the other way, right? Because that's where we like to go. And now we're back to, why do kids pick on each other in the playground? Because well, it's the easiest way to make sure you feel good about yourself, isn't it? Everybody thinks blondes are prettier than, than everybody else because they've got blue eyes. Blue eyes dilate more and dilation shows attraction and if they're attracted to me, I must be attracted to them. Blondes are amazing. And they're all so stupid. You heard a lot of brunette jokes growing up, right? Did you ever hear a blonde joke growing up? Yeah, blondes are amazing. All the models want to dye their hair blonde. Blondes are amazing. And let's do blonde jokes about why they're stupid. As a society, you want to lift up blondes and you want to push them down, right? Why? Because we think like this all the time, don't we? Don't we? We think in terms of hierarchies. We think in terms of this. So I don't doubt that Paul's like, well, there actually are hierarchies, but you're thinking about them all the wrong ways. Given what he says, why do charismatics focus on the first snippet? I want all of you to speak in tongues. But tacitly ignore the but there and everything that comes after why did the Corinthians do that? Why were the Corinthians drawn to tongues? Why tongues? Why did he even have to say, well, technically, prophecy is greater than tongues. The prophet is greater than the tongues talker. If you really want to get into what makes you an awesome person, why did they go, ah, 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 tongues? Why do charismatics go, tongues? And I understand, even with a lot of Pentecostal charismatic circles, they think prophecy and the other sign gifts are important, but there are multiple different denominations that say um, tongues are the initial manifestation, the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, or being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why 
does that become the inroad? And everything else, including prophecy, is stuff that you might do after that. But everybody has to speak in tongues. Why do the Corinthians, why do, do Pentecostals, Charismatics, why are we drawn to tongues rather than prophecy if Paul, the only reason we know anything about tongues is Paul <laughs> saying prophecy is better. It's in the context of verses saying prophecy is better. Why be drawn to tongue stone as the one? Speaking as a prophet could edify you. If you stand up there going, I'm a prophet of the living God, don't you feel good? But some of this come from looking at Pentecost a little bit incorrectly. I mean... Yes. I, but I mean, okay, so this was the big sign. Everyone knows, if you know the story of Pentecost, you know talking in tongues, you know the fire on top of their heads. Is it looking at that being like, that was the defining moment, so that needs to be our defining moment? I think that's an excellent way. Is just look at that and go, that is one clearly demonstrable thing. And that, I think, is part of the answer. Is it is so clearly demonstrable. And that, and Acts 2 is the most clear of the demonstrable, but it is so obviously funky. Why else do Why? Why? Because prophecy could technically be funky. Um, healing somebody. I, I prayed for Mark, and his arm went, grew back. That's demonstrable. Sarah gave a prophecy, and she said that this is what God had to say, and then, well, well oops, it just got very wrong. Um, you can't do that with tongues. Huh. It's a little safer in that respect. I speak prophecy to, who haven't I talked to yet? Sarah. I speak prophecy to Sarah, and it's clearly from God. That edifies Sarah, it edifies me, it edifies all of us that we hear from God, right? I prophesy to David... And it's proven clearly not from God. I mean, Old Testament rules were supposed to throw rocks at me until I die, because I'm not supposed to pretend that I'm talking from God, right? New Testament, stop listening to Kevin. Old Testament, rocks at him until he dies. The difference being that you guys have a discerning spirit living in you now to, to gauge that. But <coughs> you can get, the Bible even says, you should judge people that say they speak from God. Again, Paul said, the Bereans judged me. You should do that, right? I pray for Mark, and Mark grows around back, clearly demonstrating something demonstrable. Pray for Wendy, she still has the one arm. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person, just means that she didn't grow her arm back, and everybody saw her not grow her arm back, right? I speak tongues. Everybody goes, wow, that was demonstrable. Demonst demonstrate something. I don't have to prove nothing to nobody, do I? Again, this doesn't have to be a conscious thing. I'm not saying that people are trying to pull a fast one. I'm not saying that at all. It's just the easiest of all the funky sign gifts, isn't it? Anything else kind of has some sort of horizontal gauge as to whether or not that really was from God. <coughs> Technically, tongues do too. How could you possibly gauge whether or not 
when I stand up and start speaking what was it, Slovakian, Slovakian, that I'm actually speaking Slovakian. Google Translate. Is it a Google Translate? What were you going to say? Okay, you can have Google interpret it. You can have a Slovakian, like in chapter 2 of Acts, standing there interpreting. Or, who am I going to pick? Lucy. Or Lucy could have, suddenly have a spiritual gift where she interprets and says, I don't know Slovakian, but I do at the moment. And I'm saying, that was Slovakian, and this is what God is saying. And the people around us go, you know what, I really do think that was from God. And it bounces back and forth. The pastor gets up and goes, actually, that was exactly, you guys don't know what I was going to preach, but that is exactly the preface for what I was going to preach. I mean, it's clearly from God. Lucy says, who was speaking? Was it me? Dave, that's right. Lucy gets up and says, David was speaking Slovakian. Here's what he was doing. And we all say, that sounds right. That fits right. That fits with scripture. And I get up to preach and I go, yeah, actually, that fits perfectly. And Mark says, actually, I haven't talked with anybody about it anybody about any of this stuff, but that's the next song we were going to sing, was that you go, all that fits in and shows God moving. That's great. It is possible to have a horizontal um, demonstration that the tongues themselves were a demonstration of God poking into our lives. But if it's just tongues, if David just gets up and speaks, he can sit down and go, y'all don't realize it, but I just talked to God. You guys do the rest of your stuff. I don't have to prove anything. Again, it doesn't have to be conscious. It's just the easiest way to do it. And the easiest thing to slide into. <coughs> it is flashing without having to have any kind of accountability. You see why the Corinthians might have said, I like that. Again, not even like consciously picking it because they consciously want to deceive, but just it's just the easiest one to slide into. I like it. You know what? Let's. There's all sorts of good things that we could talk about, but uh, we spent a lot of time talking about good things. I didn't get anywhere near as far as I was planning to go, but that's all right. Do you do you see where where they can sit there and go? I can be drawn to something that ultimately edifies me. That ultimately. I, I seek. I'm seeking tongues. And Paul's like, it's not about seeking anything. If you desire something, desire something that's going to minister to everybody. It, it's, it is more important than the other one. In fact, if you're desiring to be the, the greatest person in the room, the people who are actually edifying the rest of us, the people who are actually drawing the rest of us close to the Lord, those are more important. They have a greater impact than people that are just standing up going, Splash. <laughs> but you guys are drawn to the splash. Isn't that what, isn't that what, what Simon Magus was? Simon Magus is drawn to the splash and, and said, hey, would you go take this to God for me? Would you pray for me? Everything we've just been talking about, Simon did. I'll pay you to, to give me this gift so that I can splash. Paul's like, it's never about the splash. The one time it was splashy for splash's sake was Acts 2, and that was an outreach thing. That's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about how we're edifying the rest of the body here. So, really, really, stop and think. Why are you even doing this in the first place? And I come back to our central thesis. The reason why Paul is even talking about spiritual gifts at all in 1 Corinthians is to say, all this is an indicator of how to do love for one another the right way. And if you'll remember, 
because the last couple of weeks we've been talking specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This whole class has been about the Holy Spirit and his ministry in general. So I, I don't want us to get so bogged down in spiritual gifts that we think that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Primarily, the Holy Spirit has given us life. It's giving us direction. It's giving us utterance. It's giving us words. It's giving us power. It's giving us encouragement. It's giving us leading. The Holy Spirit is how we're loving anybody in the first place. And yet we tend to want, any of us, we tend to want to focus on that tip of the iceberg that's the most demonstrable and say, I want that. You go, but all of this is what undergirds that. And we go, right, tip. If you were to draw an iceberg, most of us draw that thing that looks like kind of like a mountain. The smallest part of the iceberg. That's what they're doing. So we can forget the Holy Spirit himself. We'll kind of carry over some of this next week. Join with me in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that your spirit is so much bigger than we are. He overflows out of us. I thank you that he overflows into those around us, that, that we share that same spirit with one another. And I pray, Lord, help us to have your heart as we, as we seek out your heart. Help us to have your Holy Spirit as we seek out your Holy Spirit. Help us just to be open to being led by you in any way that you would lead us. And we pray, Lord, help us to do that with the spirit you've given us, with the heart that, that, that sees your body as crucial and your honor as crucial. Help us never to get so caught up on what someone has or doesn't have, what we have or don't have, what we show or don't show, how they did this or didn't do that. Help us, Lord, simply to say, Father, use me. Not just help me use the Spirit, but Spirit, use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.